Let's take our Bibles, and if you turn with me in your Bibles, in the Word of God, to Acts chapter number 2. In Acts chapter number 2, we have been uh, studying a few months ago, we began our study of the book of Acts, and what we are interested in is first century Christianity. We live in the 21st century, but we must be passionate and interested in first century Christianity. Uh, and the greatness of a church in the 21st century is not found in its size, it is not found in its ministries, its abilities, its bank account. Uh, the greatness of a church it's found is in its likeness to Jesus Christ. And its likeness to the pattern that we find in the scriptures. And in Acts chapter number 2 we find the day of Pentecost has arrived and we uh, study from verse 1 down to verse number 12 and the scene on the day of Pentecost as the believers had been waiting for about 10 days for the promise of the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit to come down after Jesus Christ ascended to heaven, uh, the promise was clear and they waited, they were in one accord, they prayed together, they were submitted to the scriptures and then finally the day of Pentecost comes in Acts chapter number 2 and the Bible says there was a, like a mighty rushing wind that came in that place in the upper room where the 120 people were gathered, the believers were gathered there, 120 in number, the Holy Ghost is moving and we know that these individuals there, the 120 were filled with the Holy Ghost, they began to speak with tongues that the people that came to Jerusalem that was typical for Jews around the world to come for those feasts, the Feast of Pentecost, and they gathered together and the people from different countries were hearing these Galileans speak in their languages. And they thought to themselves, are these not Galileans and how do they all speak uh, our language and what were they speaking about? They were speaking of the wonderful works of God. In other words, their speech was specific. It was not some vain babbling, some pointless words that nobody understood. They were speaking about the wonderful works of God. And notice in verse number 12 of Acts chapter number 2, the Bible says, And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to, un to another, and here's the question, What meaneth this? Oh, what is this all about? The Bible says in verse 13, Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. So do you see the scene here? There's different people, uh, different uh, uh, among the believers who were gathered there who were basically speaking the wonderful works of God in a language that was unknown to them, uh, but under the control of the Spirit of God and by the power of the Holy Ghost, they were speaking the wonderful works of God to people who had come from around the world to Jerusalem for that particular feast. And what's happened is the people there were amazed that these Galileans spoke their own languages, but certainly some of the Jews in Jerusalem, as the Bible tells us, were mocking. They thought to themselves as they heard uh, kind of this, if you would, all those people speaking different languages all at the same time, and each person hearing in their own language, the Bible says they began to mock and saying these are drunken people. The question is, what does this all mean? And the Bible tells us in verse number 14, but Peter, and so, do you see kind of this scene that appears on the scene to many of the people there as a chaotic scene, but as a matter of fact, it's not a chaotic scene at all. It is a scene 
where the Holy Ghost is in control. It is a scene where people are hearing the wonderful works of God. And the question is asked, what meaneth this? And Peter is going to answer that question. Notice verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, that means the people perhaps that were there, that were mocking, they didn't understand that these people were speaking in known languages that these people knew. And the Bible says here, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, the sun shall turn into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. At that moment here, the quotation from Joel, the Old Testament prophet, ends. And now Peter is going to begin his message in the first part of addressing the crowd He's going to give a rebuttal to what they're doing. They're mocking. Some people are asking, what is this all about? And he's going to answer in an introductory fashion by quoting the prophet Joel. And then he's going to go into his message from verse number 22 all the way to verse number 36. And I want you to notice what this message is about. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. Notice verse 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. And here it is. Jesus of Nazareth. This is the message. This is who the message is about. Uh, you see, I want you to see the scene that is going on. The people are asking, what does this all mean? What is this about? Are these drunken men? And here the Apostle Peter stands up and he basically says, listen to me. Jesus of Nazareth. This is what this is all about. This is all about Jesus. And notice what he goes on to say, verse 22. A man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption." Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, 
Let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, that's David, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all, all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. I would like to bring your attention to two verses. The verses that I tried to emphasize, the first one in verse 22, as Peter begins the message, he says this, uh, as the question is asked, what does this all mean? And Peter begins his message by saying, Jesus of Nazareth. And he's going to weave his way through the Scriptures in a remarkable way, and he's going to end this message by saying, that same Jesus is both Lord and Christ. I want to preach a message that I've entitled this afternoon, Jesus, both Lord and Christ. Now Peter, on the day of Pentecost here, as he's opening his voice and he's preaching, it was certainly a great day, as we will see by the end of the chapter, uh, there would be about 3,000 souls who would receive Jesus Christ, who would follow the Lord uh, in believers' baptism, and who would be added to the disciples, to really the 120 that were gathered there on the day of Pentecost. And it's certainly a great day. But we ask ourselves at this moment, what is it that prompted this message? Certainly, uh, Peter, under the power and the leading of the Spirit of God, preached this message. But uh, Peter is observing the scene. He's noticed here what, he, what people are saying in the conclusions that are being made. In verse 12, the Bible says that everybody was amazed. In other words, what was going on had not been seen before. It was special. It was something spectacular to behold. But then the Bible says at the same time they were amazed in verse 12 and they were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. And so with this scene here, Peter is going to stand up. And so this message begins as a response to the accusations or the comments from the people in Jerusalem. Some were mocking, accusing these men of being drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning. Others were asking, what meaneth this? The question simply put is this, what is going on in Acts chapter number 2? Uh, what is all this about? Ultimately, that's the question we're asking. What is all this about? What is this scene? And Peter is going to provide a wonderful answer for what is happening and I would like to preach a message again that I've entitled Jesus both Lord and Christ because truly that is what the message is about. As we observed this morning when Philip went to the Ethiopian eunuch, the Bible says as he began in Isaiah 53, he preached Jesus to him. 
And ultimately, as we here look in Acts chapter number 2, it seems that the message of Peter on the day of Pentecost is the same message that Philip had to the Ethiopian eunuch. He preached Jesus and he began with Jesus of Nazareth. And by the time he ends this message, he says that this same Jesus is both Lord and Christ. Now we're going to go work our way through this message and look at the wonderful things that Peter is preaching here as he begins really the meat of the message in verse 22. But before he begins this wonderful message, he kind of gives an answer, uh, a direct answer to the men that were mocking and were saying, these are drunken men. In verse number 14, Peter standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of his Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words, for these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. This would be nine o'clock in the morning. But this is that which was spoken of the prophet Joel. I want you to see here uh, the, the scene that is going on. Uh, the appeal of the apostle Peter is not, Hey, you all want to experience what's going on here? Let me tell you how you experience that. No. What did he do? He says, do you want to know what's going on? The scene that is going on. The things that you're wondering about. The things that you're asking. What does this all mean? The thing that you're mocking. Do you know what this is all about? What does this event mean? And Peter says, this, verse 16, is that which was spoken of the prophet Joel. You see, Peter is not saying here, you want to be part of this experience? Join us. What does he do? He preaches the Scriptures. This event, what was going on, was actually prophesied by the prophet Joel by way of introduction before Peter gets to the message. He gives them really four truths to think about as we ask ourselves here, what does this all mean? And really there's four things that this is all about. First of all, this is the fulfilling of the Scriptures. But the Bible tells us here, notice in verse number 16, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. So understand, we're asking here, what is this all about? I'll tell you what it's all about. It's all about the fulfilling of the Scriptures. The scene going on in Acts chapter 2, this great day of Pentecost, is something that the prophet Joel prophesied about. Not only is this the fulfilling of the Scriptures, but also this is the pouring of the Spirit. Uh, The Bible here says in verse 17, It shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, that I will pour out My Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And so we know here, as He says here, the handmaidens will I pour out in those days of My Spirit, and they shall prophesy. What was interesting here is that the anointing or the pouring of the Spirit was on all the believers in the upper room. It was not a select few Christians or believers or was not relegated just to the apostles. All of the believers were uh, filled with the Holy Ghost on that day. All of them were prophesying. They were, uh, we, they were witnessing the pouring out of the Spirit of God. This is not only the fulfilling of the Scriptures, it is the pouring of the Spirit, but also thirdly, this is also the warning of the Sovereign. 
Uh, notice what he says in verse number 19. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. Then the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord. He's talking about end times. These expressions are found, are talking about uh, what is going to happen right before the Lord comes and rules and reigns and pours out His wrath, the indignation, Jacob's trouble upon the unbelieving world. And so understand here, if you go back with me, it's important here to notice in verse number 17, and it shall come to pass in the last days. Often people get confused with prophecy because they look at this expression and they think the last days in terms of just the book of Revelation. But the last days according to the Bible begin in Acts chapter 2. The last days speaks of Acts chapter 2 all the way to the time Jesus Christ is revealed and comes down to earth. The last days includes all of that as he says. Notice verse 17. It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. In verse number 18, I will pour out in those days. What days? The last days. You see, the last days are, are understood as the church age all the way to the time that Jesus Christ comes down and rules and reigns on earth. The Bible says, and leading up to what? Verse 20, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord uh, that is found in the Old Testament as the terrible day of the Lord. This is the time when the wrath of God will be poured out upon an unbelieving world. And to understand this uh, description of the last days that begins in Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit of God is poured out upon men, uh, upon the believers there, all the way to the time, what is it leading to? It is leading to the notable day of the Lord. It is leading up to the time when God will, Jesus Christ will manifest Himself and come down and rule and reign upon earth and He will come in judgment. You see, this is the warning of the sovereign. This is the preparation. That's why the appeal of the gospel is today is the day of salvation. Don't delay the day of salvation. Why? Because... The Savior who has open arms now one day will come as your judge. So we find that this is the fulfilling of the Scriptures. It is the pouring of the Spirit. It is the warning of the Sovereign. But also we find that this is the salvation of the sinner. Notice the, the end of the quote of Joel is found in verse 21. By the way, this is a reference to Joel's prophecy. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what this day is about. So understand, as these men are gathered, they're seeing what is going on. Some of them are mocking. Some of them are asking, what does this all mean? Peter says, I'll tell you what this is all about. It's the fulfilling of the Scripture. It's the pouring of the Spirit of God. It's the warning of the Sovereign. And it's the salvation of the sinner. All prophesied by Joel. And so with that in mind, we come to verse number 22. As Peter rebuttals basically their claims, he tells them what this is all about. And the Bible tells us in verse 22, Ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. You see, these people were confronted with something that they had never seen before. As we determine, uh, it was a prophesied event, it was a sign particularly to the Jews. The question would certainly be asked, what has done this? How has this come about? The sermon of Peter on the day of Pentecost is an answer 
to the bewilderment of thousands who had gathered to listen, Peter's response under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost was not about how these people could have the same experience. As a matter of fact, you don't find that anywhere, do you? You see, that's one of the, pro the troubles and the problems with today's churches. Often people, the invitation is an invitation to experience something with us. Today you have schools, prophetic schools, schools of healing where people are teaching other people how to heal and how to prophesy and how to do all those things. And they're trying to cause people to have an experience. And Peter does none of that. He does not appeal and say, oh, you want to know what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God. He doesn't say this. What is this all about? Peter said, this is that which was spoken. You see, what is Peter doing in the sermon? He quotes from the prophets and he expounds the Scriptures. It is very important for us to understand that what gives validity to a church, how do you know that a church is a Bible church? It is a church that expounds, that preaches the Word of God. That's what they do. That's a New Testament church. You look through all the messages. You look through the personal interactions as Philip the eunuch and Peter as they heal the crippled men and deliver the gospel of this man. What do they do? They expound the Scriptures. They didn't give a cute speech. They traveled through the Scriptures. They weaved their way and their messages were dominated with Scripture. You see, there is only one explanation for what was happening on that day. You know what? The message here begins with Jesus and it ends with Jesus. Verse 22, as we noted, here are these words. Here it is, Jesus of Nazareth. But by the time we reach verse 36, he says that same Jesus. You see, he begins with Jesus of Nazareth and then he ends with that same Jesus. Peter begins with the humanity of Christ by saying Jesus of Nazareth and he ends with his deity. He is both Lord and Christ. You see, why is Peter preaching and laying this out in this way? Well, what is the emphasis that is of this powerful message, this message that changed the lives of about 3,000 souls on that day? Changed the lives of those 3,000 souls because the message was about Jesus. One of the troubling things of the Pentecostal and the charismatic movement is an attempt to recreate an experiment that happened on the day of Pentecost. Many of the early charismatic uh, uh, prime movers said, Pentecost has come again. And their claim was that the same experience that happened on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 is happening today and that's what they claim that's what they said was, is happening in this hour and it happened in the mid-1800s. But as we understand, what the scene of Acts chapter 2 is not about an experience at all. Christianity is not about this scene that we see here, this once-in-a-lifetime event. Christianity is about Jesus. And so it is fundamental and fundamentally important for us to understand in this message that Peter doesn't say, hey, come, let me show you how you can have the same experience. He never emphasized that experience. He preached Jesus. Now there's a particular truth that I want to focus on, but I want to move our way through this passage and end up with verse number 23 and emphasize here that particular verse. But notice in verse 22 as... Peter begins the message, and I'll be honest with you, I don't have an outline for this message. I'll just try to preach the message that Peter preached. 
But notice verse 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you as ye yourselves also know. Now here we find here that he basically talks about those men that most of them knew about Jesus Christ, had heard his name. He's going to tell them later, ye have crucified. So a good portion of the people that were there on that day had participated, had been complicit in crying out, crucify him, crucify him, and uh, claimed or asked for the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus Christ and so many of them are there present on that day and reminds us here that Jesus Christ here the Bible says he was a man uh, approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you as ye yourselves also know he first of all he says this Jesus of Nazareth you know him you know what he's done you've seen his work you've heard him preach you've heard him teach you know who He is. As a matter of fact, when Nicodemus came to Jesus Christ, even in the early onset of the ministry, in John chapter 3, verse 2, before the three-year ministry, Nicodemus says, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles except God be with him. After the many miracles that Jesus had performed, John writes in John chapter 12, verse 37, but though He had done many miracles before them, yet... They believed not on Him. Our Lord Himself declared His works among men in John chapter 15 verse 24. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated Me and My Father. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated Me without a cause. Peter preaches and he says, you know this man. You know the works he's done. You've seen his miracles. He was a man approved of God. Many of you even confess that there was no way that this man could do that except it came from God. Jesus himself says, the works that I did, no other man ever did. Jesus had no equal when Philip told Nathaniel about Jesus. You remember what Nathaniel said? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And what did Philip say? Come and see. You see, the term Jesus of Nazareth emphasized the humanity of Jesus Christ. Among the Jews, they thought to themselves that nothing good can come out of Nazareth. And the accusation, you remember when the crowd came to pick up Jesus who was in, uh, praying in the Garden of Gethsemane as Jesus Christ went towards them. He says, well, who, whom do you seek? And what did they say? Jesus of Nazareth. That term, Jesus of Nazareth, was kind of a disdain. There's no way the Messiah would be known as a man from Nazareth. And yet Peter begins here, uh, says Jesus of Nazareth, this man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you as ye yourselves also know. Notice him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. And so notice here this Jesus of Nazareth, this man who was approved of God, whom you are witnesses, you've seen the works that he did, that no other man did what Jesus did, that same man, now we'll revisit the first part of verse 23, but he says, that same man, you crucified him. With your wicked hands, you crucified him. He says, you had hands filled with guilt. His blood is on your hands. Why? Because remember, they had to bring false accusers. They claimed that this man was committed blasphemy, but at the same time, they were lying in court. 
and bringing people to testify falsely against the name of Jesus Christ. The Bible goes on to say in verse 24, Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it, had, it was not possible that he should be holden of it. You see here, Jesus, Peter says, This man who was approved, this man also died. This man also was resurrected in verse 24. Verse 25, For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. We find his ascension. If you go down to verse 27 as he quotes David, Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. That's his burial. This man, this Jesus of Nazareth, the man that you know was approved of you, this man died. This man was buried. This man rose from the dead. And this man ascended to heaven. He quotes from Psalm chapter number 16 that David quoted. And as he explains to them the Scriptures, notice what Peter does here in verse number 28, Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you as of the patriarch David. And so here, what did what Peter do? He quoted the Psalm, Psalm 16. He quoted from David. And the typical Jew of that day thought to themselves, well, that's what David talked about. He was talking about himself. And Peter is going to explain to them that David, notice, that he is both dead and buried. So we know that this thing that David wrote about. He did not write about himself because he is dead and buried and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. We know where his body is laying. The Bible says in verse 30, Therefore being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins according to the flesh that he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He seeing this before spake that he, that's David, he seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. So Peter goes and he says, look, this Jesus uh, that we talked about, we know who he is. He came and he was approved of you. The signs and the miracles were prophesied in his name. He died according to the scriptures. He was buried and he ascended up on high according to the scriptures. And he, then he goes back and he says, David was not speaking of himself, for he died and he is still buried to this day. He spoke of something that was to happen later. He spoke of the resurrection of Christ. He saw this before. In verse 32, This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, He hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. You see, not only was the prophecy of Christ signs and miracles and wonders prophesied, His death, his burial, His resurrection, His ascension, His seated at the right hand of the Majesty on high, but also the promise of the Holy Ghost to come down was prophesied by Joel. All of this that is happening was according to the Scriptures. Do you see the appeal of the Apostle Peter? He says, these are the facts. This is what the Scripture have testified about. This is not about some experience. This is the truth of God's Word. Do you see it? Who this Jesus is? The Bible says, verse 33, Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, He hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. For David did not ascend into heaven. The heavens. 
But he said, uh, uh, saith himself, The Lord sit on my right. Uh, 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 the Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. You see, all Peter does at that moment is he uh, uh, explains the Scriptures to them just like Philip did to the Ethiopian eunuch. And he says that all this that David wrote about, he wrote about Jesus Christ whom you see, you're witnesses of these things. And he basically says, these are the facts, this is the truth. The Apostle Peter did not invite this crowd into the upper room and says, hey, let's sing together and have this experience together. You can be part of this. No, he preached unto them Jesus. And he says that same Jesus, as he ends the message, is both Lord and Christ. But there's a truth here in the middle in verse 23. If you go back there with me, because this Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, notice, him. Him. Who's the him? That's Jesus of Nazareth. Him, notice here, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Now, now this is where the truth comes as we think about those who are looking at the scene here and they're thinking about what is happening, some of them have taken part in crucifying Jesus Christ. That's what Peter said. Ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified. And here the Apostle Peter says, I'm going to tell you about this man. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. I want to walk through uh, those words here. The Bible says here, Him being delivered. The word delivered basically means surrendered. This word is used in war when soldiers are surrendered into the hands of the enemy. Uh, they wave the white flag and they say, we will surrender ourselves to you. If Jesus had not surrendered Himself, they could have done nothing against Him. His life was not taken from Him. He surrendered His life. In John chapter 19, verse 10, uh, you remember as He's talking to the Roman ruler, He says, Thou couldst have no power against Me except it were given Thee from above. In Mark chapter 10, verse 33, as Jesus is talking about His uh, impending death, He says, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn Him to death, and shall deliver Him to the Gentiles, and they shall mock Him, and shall scourge Him, and shall spit upon Him, and shall kill Him, and the third day He shall rise again. The Bible says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave. No one took anything from God. No one ripped something out of God's hand and says, I'll take this for myself. No one ripped Jesus Christ out of the hands of God. He surrendered Himself. He was delivered. But how was He delivered? The Bible says being delivered, notice here, by the determined counsel of God. The word here that we find determinate means defined or something that is marked out or bounded just as we would define or make a boundary of a plot of ground. This speaks of God's purpose. It was God that determined the death of Christ to be so. It was His great purpose. 
You see, it was the determinate counsel of God. He surrendered Himself uh, by the determinate counsel of God hundreds of years before the death of Christ happened. Isaiah 53 prophesied of His death. Psalm 22 prophesied that His hand and His feet would be pierced. And so all the things uh, before, by the way, any form of punishment that was similar to the crucifixion was even known to man at that time. But yet all of that was prophesied. Why? Uh, By what? By the determinate counsel of God. You see, today many will declare that, well, the Jews killed Jesus. And we find here He says, Ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified. Others will affirm that the Romans killed Him. We have also heard preachers often say, well, we killed Him or our sins killed Him. It is true that sin demanded justice. But what God demanded is important to understand. Only God could do. It is not because of our sin that God says, Oh, I I can't resist this. I I can't help that. I have to do this for man. No, He did that out of His grace, out of His mercy, out of a love for man because God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And so no, the Jews did not kill Jesus Christ. In other words, He was not uh, a man that was just taken and He couldn't help it. He was not a martyr. He was not a man that was just crucified because they wanted to rid themselves of Him. Understand it was the determinate counsel of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. In John 10, 18, No man taketh my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have no power to, pay, to lay it down. And I have, uh, I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. You see, He was delivered, He was surrendered by the determinate counsel of God. The word counsel is the decree of God or the purpose of God. In Acts chapter 4, verse 28, the Bible says, For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, the Bible says, In whom that is Christ, also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will, the purpose of His will, the degree of His will. Peter's point is clear. Jesus was not delivered to the Jews because of His personal weakness. They did not take Christ because He could not defend Himself. Jesus was delivered by the determinate purpose and the decree of God. When Peter tried to defend Christ, you remember? Pulled out the sword, tried to cut a man's head off. Jesus said, Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father? And he shall presently give more than twelve legions of angels. But how then shall the Scriptures be fulfilled? You see, he was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. The word foreknowledge means simply that God sees beforehand an event that is to take place. You see, God is omniscient. 
He sees everything. He is, we don't comprehend it because we are finite man and He is infinite, but God is outside of time. He is, not only uh, uh, does He have the purpose of His will, but He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He sees it all the same. And He knew in His foreknowledge what men would do. Notice here as He says, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. I want you to go with me to Isaiah chapter 46. In Isaiah chapter 46, this truth here is emphasized as the prophet Isaiah is preaching. Notice Isaiah 46, if we begin reading in verse number 8. Isaiah 46 verse 8, remember this. And show yourselves men, bring it again to mind, O ye transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God, there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executeth my counsel from a far country, yea, I have spoken it, I will also bring it to pass, I have purposed it, I will also do it. Hearken unto me, ye stout-hearted, that are far from righteousness, I bring near my righteousness, it shall not be far off, and my salvation shall not tarry, and I will place salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. You see, he says, remember this, my counsel shall stand. We ask ourselves this truth, what is the message of Christianity? The message of Christianity is that God, here it is, has a plan and a purpose. That changes everything. But the people are asking here, they're gathering, they're saying, what meaneth this? Are these drunken men? We don't understand what is going on. And here Peter stands up and he says, I want you to know that this message is that God has a plan and a purpose for you. We understand that the death of Christ on the cross was not an accident. The death of Christ was not something that was achieved by men. It was part of the plan and the purpose of God. Jesus did not come to give an example for us to imitate. That's not why He came. That is not the message of Christianity. For who can imitate God? God's Son did not come merely to teach man. He did not come to tell us, do this and you will save yourself. He knew that we could not. It is because the whole world was guilty before God that Jesus came. He came because man could not save himself. What is the object of the plan of God? It is to save. The end of the quote from Joel in verse 21 is this, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And here as Peter is preaching and these people are asking here, what does this all mean? And he tells them here, I'll tell you what this all means. This all is about Jesus. And what is the message of Jesus? Jesus of Nazareth. You remember the kind of man He was. He lived on this earth. He lived a sinless and a 
perfect life. He was approved of God. You are witnesses of these things. That this man died according to the Scriptures. This man was also buried according to the Scriptures. This man rose from the grave. This man ascended up into heaven. And as the fulfilling of Scripture, the Spirit of God now is come down upon these people. And I want you to know that this is all about you. God has a plan and a purpose for you. That's what this is all about. You see, this was not about the experience on the day of Pentecost. It's not about the speaking in tongues. It's about Jesus. And Peter made that clear. When they were looking for something else. During his earthly ministry, they were looking to be healed of him. They were looking for a king to establish his kingdom in Israel and restore the throne of David. But all along what they needed is a Savior who was carrying out the plan and the purpose of God. And the truth he tells those men as they're gathered there. Do you see the scene as they're all gathered there and they're thinking to themselves, this Jesus of Nazareth, this man, uh, this same Jesus who is both Lord and Christ, he says, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified. This is the plan and the purpose of God, but at the same time, these are the same men who had crucified this man. These are the Jews that shouted that uh, allowed Barabbas to be released, who was a criminal, a murderer, who had committed insurrection, and they let this criminal go, and they let the innocent man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, they crucified him. You see, although it was the determinate counsel and the foreknowledge of God that uh, uh, caused Jesus Christ to be crucified, he says, you are not empty of guilt because you have crucified. And the amazing thing that these Jews would realize in that moment is that God would use the evil of these same people to redeem them. God used their evil heart, their dark heart, that lied against Jesus Christ, that blasphemed His name, that rejected Him, that spat upon Him, that ripped His beard out. They nailed Him to a cross. They pierced His side. They mocked Him. They cast lots. They did all these things. For what? For what? For what? All those things were done because God had ordained that He would die for them. Now this message is still true today. But can you imagine the same message ringing out in the hearts and the minds of those who had literally crucified Him? That the man that they had hated was God in the flesh. The man that they had hated and despised is the man who had loved them. And I say to you today, that if you are not a born again Christian, God has a purpose and a plan for you. And His purpose and His plan for you is Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, who is both Lord and Christ. Not only is that God's purpose for you, but that is also the purpose of the church and the purpose of the existence of the church. We exist to propagate and to preach His plan and His purpose. We are, we are not alive and we do not exist 
to bring about uh, some movement in this world. A movement has already happened. It happened in Acts chapter 1 and 2. And has been the working of God through the pages of human history. And it's all about Jesus Christ. So let us not get distracted. Not only for what Jesus had for our lives. And by the way, if you're not a born again Christian and the Holy Spirit has convicted your heart, uh, you can right now repent of your sin and trust Christ as your Savior. And He will save you if you call out. But also as we think about this church, First State Baptist Church, why are we in existence? To carry out, to propagate, to preach the purpose and the plan of God for man. And we must never be distracted from that.